My Zoom recorder is going. My recorder is going, and I can see the little bars coming up. Very nice. Awesome. Okay. This episode of Australian Gothic was recorded on the unceded lands of the Ngunnawal, Ngambri, and Kwandamooka people. It is an unseasonably warm winter's evening, and you, dear listener, have gathered in your local town centre with thousands of other people all of whom are dressed in green and gold. A strange, frantic energy is coming over the crowd, and finally a giant TV screen flickers to life above your heads, and you all turn in unison to watch as a nervous man, who has clearly never watched a sports game in his life, takes the microphone and in a halting voice announces, it, It's Tilly time? To thunderous <laughs> applause and unearthly screaming. It's Lucas! Uh, uh, hello, everyone. Uh, and now to sing the national anthem, it's me. And, <laughs> and I and I do the most like sort of like oversung Mariah Carey version of the Australian anthem, like 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 singers at American football games. And uh, honestly, it's a bit much. That that slaps. Um, <laughs> Lucas announces with tears in his eyes that the age of man has ended in Australian sports and hands the microphone over to me, Jules. I immediately drop the microphone and pick up a replica Mackenzie Arnold jersey, putting it on over my clothes. Lightning crackles and I begin to grow huge, bigger than the stadium I'm standing in. I walk onto the pitch and begin devouring the opposing team. My hunger unsated, I stomp Godzilla-like to a nearby rugby league stadium where a men's game is playing and breathe fire on all the players and spectators, destroying everything. Sports belongs to the girls now. <laughs> um. Unfortunately, some of those male players do have, like, giantess fantasies and they're just like, oh no, I hate this. Yeah, until they die. Yeah, yeah, but look, yeah. some of them are into that too. Oh, well, there you go. Um, <laughs> that's that that was wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. If if people haven't figured it out, we are. Well, we're talking today. We're talking partially about us, uh, the recent women's World Cup soccer championship performance. I round. Saga? I don't know. Saga. Yeah, let's go with saga. Um, we're jocks now. We're jocks now, uh, like many other people in Australia who have never been jocks before. And in fact, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about the kind of I would say seismic shift in Australian sports culture that has kind of occurred. With this was, oh, oh sorry. Yeah, you, no, no, you no. You go. Sorry. No, it that's. Yeah, my apologies again for jumping in, but uh, that was going to be, uh, again, uh, listeners, as you are all, all probably aware, I am not a huge sports guy, but not even I could escape uh, the, you know, Women's World Cup uh, and, you know, the Tildes, uh, the Matildas. 
So, so yeah, it occurs to me that like one of my joke theses for this episode. I'm so happy you and I came up with the same <laughs> thing. It's just like, yeah, we should uh we should uh, make it illegal for men to do sport. Yeah. Uh. Well, um, that does seem to be the general, the general findings. Um. <laughs> yeah. So Australia. Rec- uh, so it's 2023. Um. We're recording this at the end of August, and we've just. Uh, Australia and New Zealand has just hosted the uh, FIFA Women's World Cup soccer, um, which is played every four years. Uh, the men's t- the men's round was last year. Uh, it's the first time Australia and New Zealand have hosted it, and either the men's or the women's. And uh, it's also the first time that an Australian team has made it to the the semi-finals, the the top four, which yeah. we did. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about sports culture in Australia today, um, sort of historically, and the kind of the ways in which some of it is part of aspects of the dominant culture and uh, things that have been fucked about that. And um, also, the <laughs> how different this has been. Yeah, yeah. And uh, against all my wishes, like I knew this was coming when I started a podcast about Australian culture and, and know next to nothing about sports mm. and have never really been that much of a sports guy. Honestly, Jules, you're a strength in not making me like the smarmy nerd. Yeah. <laughs> who's just like at the game, just like, I don't even like sports. I like books. Well, I think that nobody is like that anymore after this. It, it occurred to me today thinking about it because like, you know, a, a World Cup happened and I, you know, just wasn't really paying attention to it, but like, I just couldn't escape it. Mm. But like, it, it was different this time. Like, I was actually kind of happy to hear about it. Yeah. Like I wasn't I wasn't grated by it. Like like when it's the men's World Cup and people are just like, "Oh, do you watch the game?" and I'm just like, D- "Nah, man. Like have you met me?" But uh but no, it's I I actually on a more somber note, like uh am a little bit sad that I missed out on it. Ah. Like that I wasn't paying as close attention to it because like everyone is just it's been such a, you know, the progress of the Matildas to make it as far as they did it really was special. And, and I think for the first time in my life, I, I kind of get it. I, I, mm-hmm. the, the thrill of like losing yourself in, in the journey of a team like this. And so part of me is like, now that it's over, it's just like, huh, okay, that really was special, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so I am generally not a jock, but soccer is actually something I quite enjoy in, in small doses, historically. And part of that is because I spent the majority of my 20s and 30s living in the inner west of Sydney. So Australia has never done particularly well at the World Cup, particularly in the men's team. But I lived in areas of Sydney that had very like large and long-standing migrant populations and communities. I lived in an area that was near a huge Italian community, near large Portuguese and Brazilian communities. Oh, wow. Yeah, so plus, you know, like like really major dominant ones, but also then a lot of smaller migrant communities that are often represented at the World Cup. So it was kind of hard to escape. And part of the reason for that is that because normally the World Cup is being held in countries that aren't Australia, 
when the games are on live, it's usually some very weird time. Yeah. Like it's it's like the middle of the night, it's early morning. You would be woken up by car like if a if a game was playing, particularly like an Italy match, there was no getting away from it. Because oh, everyone no. <laughs> would drive their cars around honking their horns before the match. And then if the ga- if they had won after the match. And I was teaching in a in Leichhardt, which is a really predominantly Italian community. Um, it's referred to as Sydney's Little Italy and has been for decades. Um, there was sort of no getting away from from the World Cup, and I kind of embraced it. And they would they would hold big community screenings of the games mm-hmm. out in in the sort of the town square, as it were, was. And you know they'd put up a big screen, and everyone would go and watch it. And I'm talking like in the middle of the night like sometimes a 2 a.m. game, and everyone would be there. Like, people would be there. There would be, like, little kids in prams. There'd be kids in their pajamas. And there would be a huge amount of students and teachers from the school I worked at. And the next morning, everyone would be wrecked. (laughs) And there was just kind of a general understanding that that was fine. And it was was really enjoyable. Like, I, I don't think I'd ever seen an Australia game. I'd mostly watch the Italy matches because I really enjoyed the vibe of the crowd. Like, I really liked how excited everyone was. I enjoyed how happy everyone was. Like, it's, it's, mm. like, that was actually quite fun. And it was kind of an environment where some of the other aspects of sports culture that I'm going to go, I'm going to talk about in a little bit that, that had largely been my experience of, Australian sports culture kind of weren't present. Okay, I'm I'm really interested to hear what those ones are. Cause, yeah, because uh, <laughs> yeah, like one of the reasons I'm not really we kind of touched on it a little bit in the in the Sydney 2000 Olympics episode, but uh, yeah, one of our listeners who contributed to that episode made a great point that sort of in the lead up to the Olympics, the Sydney 2000 Olympics, sports programs got real fucking hyped, and mm. it led to this culture of really quite intense competition yeah uh, even amongst like little kids yeah and and that meant that my little adhd have an ass who didn't really understand you know sports couldn't really focus on it and so just got kind of bored just did not thrive in that environment Mm. and and i actually came to resent and hate a lot of that culture yeah that was particularly from a from a spectator point of view but yeah i i sort of couldn't really avoid sport growing up like you you kind of didn't get a choice and the Mm. schools I went to had like compulsory sports so um in fact I played I played a lot of hockey in high school and Mm -hmm. um that's also partly part of the reason that I quite enjoy soccer because a lot of the rules are the same okay yeah you're right so I have a better understanding of it like we didn't really watch a lot of sport in my household growing up my dad would sort of get into the cricket a little bit over the summer And sometimes my family would go see like a a one day international match, but that was more because like my, uh, my sister and her partner quite enjoy cricket and they were living in England for most of my teens. And they'd sort of come back for a little holiday in the summer. And that was like a thing we do as like a family activity because you'd kind of be there all day. And there was sort of like a, a sports thing going on in the background, but it was mostly just hanging out with your family I've never really enjoyed watching cricket. It's not interesting to me. The rules are complicated. I sort of know some of them, but I honestly don't care. 
Um, no, I've not thought about cricket that way, like, or one day cricket that way. Like, that's a good point. But yeah, also probably a, another thing where I would have been like, what is this? What's going on? Yeah, and like, one of the things that I sort of didn't love about it was that you get a lot of drunk men there. Like, large mm. groups of men being drunk in that way that Anglo-Australian men like to get drunk, where they take up a lot of space. Yeah. And that wasn't super my thing. But, you know, like, it was nice hanging out with my family. So I, th I think that sort of before we get into soccer, I want to talk a little bit about Australia's relationship to team sports and particularly men's team sports, because it it's very gendered and it's very it's sexist it's racist it's homophobic yeah it's the um it's the the osgoth trifecta really um, <laughs> yeah in a way it's it's silly that it took us this long to get here to, but, uh... to a sports episode but yeah i mean i think also because both of us are like i don't know sports it's this <laughs> sort of like dark undercurrent that i think both you and i have largely avoided um yeah. i know that both of us had dads who were in media mm. So there might be a little bit of, of an aspect of like, I don't know, did your, was your dad into sports? Did he watch sports? Um, he was able to know enough to be a bit of a chameleon. Okay. Because again, being a, being a man of that age, if you want to socialize and you don't know anything about sport, you kind of have to pretend. Because, you know, I remember dad at an event talking about sports with people. I'm just like, you don't fucking watch sport. Yeah. And he was kind of just like, shh. Yeah. Oh, whereas with me, I don't know. I think there's, I know lots of people who like sport and there's usually a point where I, you know, I have a group of my, you know, friends who I went to school mm. with. There's usually a point in the night where we'll talk about like video games or yeah. then TV or shit that's happening in our lives. And then it'll come to sport. And I used to just kind of like blank and fall asleep mm. in that part of the conversation. Now I can kind of follow along. Mm. And I, and I think, you know, just from being in this culture, I now know enough about sports and you know i know a little bit about you know soccer football mm. to know about some world cup things but yeah like uh, you know you just absorb it through contact i guess yeah absolutely yeah my dad my dad yeah he'd occasionally watch cricket i think he quite liked the sort of like how long it went like it's quite chill you can just sort of have it on in the background it's not a high energy sport to watch mm. when it's on tv and it was sort of you know, like, I remember listening to a lot of cricket commentary on the radio during long drives on summer holidays. Richie Benno. Yeah. That's all I really know about. I know the media side of it. I know there's, yeah. like, a day in cricket. Uh, I don't know if it's, like, the anniversary of, you know, Richie Benno's birthday or the anniversary of his death where everyone dresses like deceased cricket commentator Richie Benno, who was, like, an old man. That's amazing. Who wore paisley suits. That's incredible. It looks fun. I would mm. go to cricket just to dress up as mm. like an old sportsman and talk like this. Yeah, especially in a paisley suit. That's incredible. Yeah, so so cricket is sort of one of the sports. That's the summer sport. And there is a number of winter sports and they get so much TV time. Sports is everywhere. It's on in like all the pubs. Sports is huge in Australia, but only some sports Oh, sorry, before you continue, we can add another thing to the trifecta, gambling. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to be talking about gambling. Don't you worry. <laughs> so in most places around the world, soccer is called football. We don't call it football in Australia because we already have at least three different other footballs. 
Mm-hmm. And I would actually argue that those are all actually hand egg, <laughs> uh, which is a, uh, my friend Finn calls it that because it is egg-shaped balls that you hold in your hands. No, I feel like I've heard that before. Yeah, it's hand egg. So we have three different hand eggs or hands egg. In Australia, there's rugby union, which is largely a kind of middle and upper class sport. It's played at a lot of private schools. Yeah. And that's the one with the rucks, I believe. Yup. It's the quite, it's, I think, the most violent one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I played it. Mm. I did it in year eight. Never played before. Never really understood mm. the rules because all my friends did it. I was in like the lowest team. In uh, in year nine, you know, I did it again just because like my friends were all doing it. I was actually a prop. So I was one of the people in the front of the ruck and <laughs> a dude lifted me off the ground using his head via my, just like my rib cage, just like lifted me off. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I know a lot of young men who have injured themselves horrifically playing rugby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's rugby union, which is commonly known as rugby. And then there is rugby league, which is known as uh, league or NRL. But there's also, I think, the Australian rugby league, which is a different group of teams, but it's the same sport. Okay. Yeah, I and rugby league is considered a lower middle class and working class sport. I think mm. culturally, it's not a private school sport. And it's and it's not as psycho in terms of contact, is my understanding. Yeah, but but there's some stuff around it culturally that's not amazing. No, no. Um, and then there's also AFL, which is Australian Football League, which also is referred to as Australian Rules Football or Aussie Rules. So I love this because out of the three games, two of them have the word rugby in them and two of them have the word league. Like, we're so bad (laughs) at naming things. Um, (laughs) But league is, is very popular in Queensland and New South Wales, and AFL is historically more of a Victorian sport. But, like, they're all kind of mushing all over the country now. Yeah, yeah. So they are definitely, all three games are a massive part of the dominant Anglo-Irish culture. Both League and AFL have strong support from Indigenous communities. Like there's a lot of Indigenous communities that love League and AFL and a lot of really good players. But um, there have been really huge problems with racism on the teams and definitely by supporters of teams. And I'll go into a little bit of that later. Oh, yeah. Overseas fans of Bluey may recognize the Bluey episode, The Decider, which is about um, an annual NRL competition between New South Wales and Queensland called the State of Origin, where they play, I think, three games against each other. Mm-hmm. Again, that was something that was totally foreign to me until when I, when I was at uni and working doing market research. State of Origin night was a terrible night to be working because you'd be cold calling people and they hated it. They hated it on origin night. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. So those are our, our, our three hand egg sports. They get a huge amount of airtime like on TV. And now I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but I I feel like we might have when talking about really crass Australian humor. I think we may have mentioned it in Larrikins 
but I think mm-hmm. it possibly also, you and Josie talked about it in Hey, Hey, It's Saturday, is a show called The Footy Show. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering when this yeah. was going to come up. <laughs> now, in my investigations and research for this, I discovered something that I think a whole lot of listeners are going to be like, yeah, of course, oh my God. But I didn't know, which is that there are two footy shows that yeah. both ran at the same time. Like, not, I don't know if in the same slot, but for pretty much like since the mid 90s till a few years ago. One for AFL and one for NRL. Oh, okay. The one I know was probably about AFL, I think. I think that was the more, my understanding is that's the more famous of the two. Yeah, I think so. They're, I had a look at both of them. And it's it's quite funny because they, it it's sort of a Pepsi and Coke situation. <laughs> um, that's sort of like the best I can do it in that both of them have a share of different controversies, and both of them also have like I was looking through the the list of you know commentators and hosts and things like that, and each of them have names I know from various media scandals and like a number of people who are like shock jock radio hosts or who now work for Sky News. Yeah. So that's the sort of vibe. It's it's like you said in the Larrikins episode, it's it's rich dudes, most of the hosts were like rich dudes who are probably like now in their 70s who think they're funnier than they are and they're in reality they're just like massive assholes and they're all called shit like Damo and Fatty and Sturlo yeah. and shit like that. Yeah. So while while learning about the the AFL footy show uh i came across an incident that has caused me to formulate what i'm going to refer to as jules's law which is really yes the more long-standing and popular an australian tv show is the higher the likelihood that there will be a blackface incident oh jesus yep yep, yep. that that works perfectly so um, like, like I'm sort of like, oh, I'm like, oh, I don't really, let's, let's, let's skip to the controversies part of the thing. And the first one is blackface. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Was it the AFL footy show, which had a character, a comedian doing a recurring character called Mahatma Coat, who was meant to be like Indian? Oh. A, a pastiche of like Indian players? No, that's not it. No, okay. Well, it that's may just have been, that's not the blackface incident I'm talking about. Uh, this is, this is a guy called Sam Newman. Yeah. Yeah who I know from being someone who massively spoke out against marriage equality a few years ago and who is also just, like, hugely transphobic. Oh, not a shock. Yeah, so I I know him from my personal community beefs, but um, it turns out he's a shithead all the way down. Yeah. In, In 1999, he impersonated Indigenous player Nikki Winmar, who had declined to come on the show. Now... I or I already knew who Nikki Winmar was, which was exciting for me because I don't know a lot about sports. <laughs> but he is famous for you might actually know who he is when I when I talk about him. There is a very famous photo of Winmar of him responding to racial vilification from supporters of Collingwood, the team he was playing against in 1993. Of course, Collingwood. Collingwood our listeners may remember as the the team of choice for daddy o and his friends in welcome to whoop whoop that's something for the patrons in this in this photo which is which is sort of considered one of these big australian like cultural like political moments uh he was he was being racially vilified for 
being Aboriginal, and I, I think they made a comment on the colour of his skin. And in this picture, he he's lifting up his shirt and pointing proudly at his skin. It's quite famous. I was aware of an incident that happened within the last 10 years. I don't know the footballer's name, but that's just my own ignorance. Where uh, I think you're talking about Adam Goods. Adam Goods. And he did that, and that was a... Well, that was a reference to Winmar. That was that same... Yeah. And he's... Yeah, he's also AFL. Anyway, so... Winmar, so that that had taken place in 1993. And in 99, Winmar switched teams to a different team. And the footy show, I guess, asked him to come on. And he declined for obvious reasons, because it's a famously racist and fucked show. And so uh, Sam Newman dressed up as him, I believe, to, to possibly give the interview which is, like, worse than that that weird Clint Eastwood empty chair thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, again, dudes who enjoy a lot of privilege who, like, grossly overestimate how funny they are or how clever they are, and, you know, the reality is they're just cruel. Yeah, Newman had a big segment in the controversies section of the footy show. Yeah, Adam Goods got booed by... I think something happened was... He was speaking out against racism in AFL and and racial issues in Australia in general and opposing fans started booing him and there was a, I believe there was an incident where a teenage girl booed him and called him some racial slurs and he made a gesture that was culturally significant for Indigenous people, like it was a a warrior gesture, I believe. And then people were like, look, he threatened this girl. I I remember the rhetoric around it. It was just like, oh, he's threatening this girl, actually. And it was just like, shut up. (laughs) it It was really... Yeah. There's also, there's been a lot of problems with, I know particularly with NRL, with Rugby League, there have been a lot of problems with top players being accused of sexual assault. There was like some, I mean, I remember around 10 years ago, there were huge issues with it, uh, including like there were some teams where sexual assault of women was just endemic to team culture. Mm. Part of the reason that I know about this was that at the time I was a high school teacher and in New South Wales, rugby league had possibly still has what is called preferred sports status in New South Wales schools, which means that it gets a lot of funding and most New South Wales public schools have a rugby league team, um, they get funding for it, there's there's more money for coaching and it's it's pushed really heavily. And I, I had a whole lot of problems with this, partly because the culture around it seemed really violent and I didn't think that was particularly great. Like there was one point where there was a team, I think the Canterbury Bulldogs, where a number of players were at the time accused of, or the previous year had been accused of like mass sexual assault. Jesus. Yeah. There was a day at the school I was working at where some players came in to talk to the kids. And I was like, how are we putting these men up as role models? Yeah. There are like there are women's teams in all these sports but they do receive a lot less funding and even the top leagues aren't paid or they're not paid very well. Uh, I know that one issue with the women's AFL is that the games are played over summer, which firstly is a heat issue 
Like this becomes yeah. a work and safety issue because Australia, Australian summer, I think, is not a time where you should be playing most sports. It's one of the reasons cricket is one of the sports. It's very slow. Yeah, whereas AFL, I was meaning to say before, is probably the most fast-paced. It's the one with the biggest kicky legs and jumping high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's also, playing it in summer has also had the problem of the ground is harder because it's drier. Oh, so when you get tackled, you yeah, the, get smacked a lot harder. Yeah, there were like a lot more injuries for, like like and impact-based injuries from jumping and falling than there were for... The men's team so like a lot of the the women players were injuring themselves at much higher rates because of yeah because the ground's harder basically so that's cool um going back to player behavior yeah uh, that seemed to be another thing as well because uh you know like in most sports you know the players tend to be younger you know younger men and because you are good at this sport you are kind of put on a pedestal mm. And there have been some really lovely, you know, famous football players and stuff yeah. like that. But it means you sadly also attract a lot of dickheads. Yeah. You know, people who they kick ball real good, but in person they are the biggest assholes on earth and they do horrible shit sometimes. Yeah. And, and that horrible shit is very much either covered up or actively encouraged by people with more power than them. There's a heavy drinking culture surrounding it like drinking and partying, because also, you know, you're a young man making a lot more money than most other people, and you're also a minor celebrity. Like, that attracts things, and... Maybe the part of your brain that gets concussions is, has had a couple of hits at that point, so... Well, yeah, that's... I mean, that's the other thing that, that also made me go, wow, this is a really inappropriate sport to be promoting at schools, is that particularly, like, rugby, rugby union and rugby league quite dangerous in terms of concussions and neck and spine injuries. Yeah. Yeah. When I was teaching, uh, there were rules about how kids could play touch football, which is like a, a toned down version where you can't tackle during like recess and lunch, but they weren't allowed to do anything involving tackling unless it was like in the, in the context of like an actual proper training team training session with a qualified coach present because mm. you can you can kill someone if you tackle them incorrectly um yeah yeah so like playground duty was always like a complete drama because you would be trying to stop kids tackling each other which is all they wanted to do but the danger was too high and like i always i always preferred if i was doing if i had playground duty out near the soccer field because any injury that they were going to get playing soccer wasn't going to be life-threatening <laughs> like, it's like ankles and knees. Yeah. Maybe a broken nose from headbutting the ball really hard. Oh, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't have to potentially deal with, like, a death or permanent paralysis. Oh, shit. Yeah, which obviously, like, I never had to deal with, but Jesus Christ, like, that's not... Um, and I was like, maybe this is not a thing we should be doing in schools. Yeah. And the other thing is that, like, soccer is a bit more gender equitable. Not necessarily in terms of pay, although I will get into that, but both men and women play soccer without it being as gendered as other sports. There has, I think until this year, definitely been a much higher emphasis on men's soccer, even though at a world level, the women's team has been performing better than the men's for a while now. Yeah, and it's so cool to see that 
spill over. Whereas, you know, with the Men's World Cup, it's just my, I know enough about FIFA to understand that when, you know, Australia has a team and, you know, you support Australia, they get knocked out almost immediately. So you have a backup team. Yeah, you got to pick another team. Okay. Well, my family's Italian. So (laughs) of course we're going to, we're going to follow Italy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that's, it's quite interesting because like soccer, what we think of as soccer is originally from England. And it's been played in Australia since the 1880s, but it just really hasn't had as much of the funding as the hand egg sports. Um, <laughs> and it really got like a big renewal after um, World War II because of the amount of different like European migrants were in the country who played soccer. So I don't know. I, th- I feel like you might have been a bit too young for the ABC television sh- originally ABC television show Heartbreak High. Uh, just. Yeah. So in the, in the original show, uh, which started in 1994, there's a major on like season one plot point that revolves around students from migrant backgrounds trying to get a soccer team up and running in conflict with Anglo students and Anglo teachers preference for rugby league. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like it's, it's, and this kind of cultural, this dominant Anglo Celtic cultural, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like hegemony yeah hegemony but also like resistance to soccer is is huge and you know and one of the things is that there's also there's a girl on the soccer team which you can kind of have <gasps> like it's not a conf- it's not a contact sport yeah it's it's like this sort of it's 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 kind of pushed as this like underdog sport at the time it's there's a soccer player called johnny warren who wrote a memoir about soccer and it was called, I'm going to gonna say some slurs here, so sorry, everybody. Sheila's Wogs and Poofters, which was... Um, the alternate name for this podcast. Yeah, I know. Um, it was about, and it's basically about how soccer was culturally considered in Australia as not a sport for real Australian men, but for Sheila's women, uh, Wogs, European migrants. Don't use that word, by the way. And Poofters, which is slang for homosexuals. Growing up, that was very much what I came up with. Even though, like, there was soccer at my primary school, like, as you got older, you heard, particularly if you were male, from, like, other boys, that, no, 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 that's not the one we play. It was quite policed in the 90s when I was a kid. Yeah. I remember when I was in year 11, the the quite traditional rural private school I went to, uh, which was co-ed, finally allowed a soccer team to start after huge amounts of like pushing from because it had all been rugby um all the sports selection all the winter sports selections were gendered girls got hockey or netball and Mm. boys got rugby or athletics that was it yeah and um and then like soccer there was a soccer team that started and like and also it was compulsory to do sport you had to do sport um like like you had to do sport two afternoons a week plus a weekend game um yeah and yeah so all the all the like the little nerd boys i was friends with joined the soccer team because they were finally like oh jesus a game where we're not going to get just like smashed into the ground every week by the grain-fed country boy borders off like big cattle properties um yeah and everyone was like, "Oh yeah, this is this is the team, team for the gays." Um, de- oh, which was was said in a derogatory way, obviously at the time. Um, mm-hmm. 
Now, the Matildas. It is a game for the gays. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's, and I mean that in the best way possible. So this has been the, this year's FIFA Women's World Cup has had 96 openly queer players across all the the teams, including at least one uh, non-binary player. Uh, We don't have any any trans women on the teams yet. And the the issue of of trans people in sport is tragically increasingly becoming a really big problem as the culture wars get worse. So it was the the queerest sport league in the world and the queerest, like, international sporting event in the world. Australia's team, the Matildas, was the queerest team of them all. (laughs) Gayest team in the World Cup with nine members of the main team and three reserves being openly queer, including our beloved captain, Sam Kerr. I should find the TikTok. I imagine you've probably seen it, but it was a woman who charted all the relationships, all the lesbian relationships. Oh, yes. Not just not just within the Matildas, but I think within other teams. Ah, the Woso chart. Oh, yes. Is, was that what it was? Yes, I, I know all about the Woso chart. Um, I'm going to drop a link to you right now. I've got it. I've got it here. Um, oh, so sick. you can just have a look at it. Uh, you, you <laughs> will note if you have a look that one of oh, the big hubs is Mackenzie Arnold, Australia's Australia's brick wall, our phenomenal goalie. Okay, I'm just going to have to zoom out, have to find... Okay, okay. Uh, She's got a big, Arnold. Yeah, yep. big red dot around her. In fact, a yep, number yep. <laughs> of the... Um, the big hub players are are Australian. Oh, oh there's another yeah, one. Emily uh, Van Egmond. Katrina Gorey. Yeah, and oh, and I was interested to find out that like Mackenzie Arnold is rumored to have a connection with Caitlin Ford, who's also on the Matildas, who is Sam Kerr's ex. And they're all just playing soccer together. Phenomenal. If you haven't looked at this, it is a spider web, yeah. like appy kind of thing. Like I thought it was just going to be like a JPEG, but no, no it's a, it's a fucking thing. Like zooming in, yeah. like just then, Jules was like, "Find Mackenzie Arnold," and I zoomed out like a sci-fi yeah. like map of the galaxy, and I was just like, "Oh, there!" Yeah, yeah, the big, yeah, one of the biggest. And part of this is that um, Australian so women's soccer isn't isn't funded as well as the men's professional soccer leagues, that the A League. So at a certain point when you get good enough as an Australian player, you... Fuck off overseas. Yeah, you you go to America or somewhere in Europe. But, like, one of the things that's actually quite nice and one of the things I quite like about the World Cup is that all... is that you have to, I believe, be a citizen of your country to play for it. So a lot of the... A lot of the the professional, like, like Premier League, A-League teams around the world just, like hire people from all over the place. Like the the times when a local team was like had a local team for local people uh, is <laughs> gone. Like, and I mean, that's the same in Australia. People are not usually playing for their local area, which I think is sad. Yeah. Money. So like Sam Kerr plays for the English team, Chelsea, for example, mm. but they've all got to go home to their, um, their home country to play for the world cup. But because they're all like they're all like dating and occasionally married to some of their team members in other countries, occasionally they're playing games against their own partners. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's 
That's that's perfect. So there's so you also had this element of like because I think I even I came across that it was just like oh so and so playing their girlfriend and oh look they mm. they still love each other. Like yeah. it was it was it was sweet. It's really nice. It's actually really beautiful and um and and also like a whole lot of people playing against their exes like this this is just the gayest thing ever. I love it so much. Like I now do you know about the TV show The L Word? I uh, have never watched. Yeah. Oh, it's I about 20 caught... years old now. They've done a reboot. But in it, it it's it's a, it's a show about lesbians in Los Angeles. Um, and it was kind of the, like, definitive queer um, or, or lesbian TV show because it actually had lesbians in it. And um, mm-hmm. right at the beginning, there's, there's a character called Alice who maps everybody's relationships in a similar thing called the chart <laughs> and so this is like this is a callback to that but like just just the okay. crossover of um of oh everybody's like everyone's dated everyone you just have to deal with that in queer communities because there's just so much crossover and you can't get away from it and so everybody just has to cope and yeah consider and i oh i also want to say that this is the the numbers i gave you about the who's openly queer is, is openly queer uh, there was some controversy about the the Woso chart in that there were people who were mentioned on it who, or, or rumoured oh. to be on it, who are not necessarily out. Oh, yeah. okay. And, I mean, for some people, they are playing for countries where oh. it's... I don't know if, if players named on it are playing for countries that where homosexuality is criminalised, but... Considering that, like, like it's definitely understood that there's probably a lot more than 96 people, 96 players in the World Cup who are queer. It was just that there are 96 of them who are out. Okay, okay. Yeah. Wow. So it's uh, it's probably more than we think. Yeah. And now I want to, one of the things that really struck me about this is that um, with, with this, so like it's it's a sport for the gays and it's it's sort of <laughs> a lot of it people. Belongs to the gays it belongs now. to the gays now. Um. And one of the things that I kept hearing from from queer people, particularly queer women, was, oh, thank God the Women's World Cup is on because we didn't know what to do after Deadlock finished. <laughs> um, this is a lesbian podcast now. Um, uh, we welcome our lesbian overlords. Yeah, uh, we, uh, we really do. Come to our window. <laughs> so the Men's AFL League, yes. Uh, there is not a single openly queer player oh, really? across all the teams. And there's a lot of teams. I don't know how many teams. Um, I know North Melbourne. They don't win very often. Uh, <laughs> my girlfriend got me to support them, but they, they don't win. So we're going to we're gonna watch some women's <laughs> games because apparently the women do much better. And as she's discovered, I am I'm a lot more interested in women's sport. But yeah, there's not a single openly queer player in men's soccer. There's one in, in the Men's Soccer A-League. There is, I believe, the, the first person to come out as queer was Josh Cavallo in 2021. Okay, I, I do remember that. Yeah, but, like, that's, you know, that's only two years ago. And in, in women's soccer, a lot of these women have been out for a really long time, which, yeah, does, like, the difference in that in that culture, because, like, men's sport in australia is so homophobic it's it's so heavily tied to concepts of masculinity and the way that it's constructed in a sports 
setting is is massively homophobic, which I guess is because sport is inherently homoerotic. Very He's got much. like like men slamming their muscular bodies against each other. That's really gay. Unfortunately, one of my retorts, because I was like a little musical theatre kid, <laughs> when I was teased for being in the school musical, because, mm. you know, okay, I was an all-boys school, mm. we would partner up with a girl's school to make it not gay, probably. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. I imagine that was the motivation. You know, we couldn't have us, like, all dressing up as, like, Olivia Newton-John, even though that would be fucking funny. God, imagine, though. Yeah. <laughs> not not Greece, just like we're all dressed up as Olivia Newton-John. Just, yeah, casually. <laughs> Yeah, being told, like, oh, it's gay to be in the musical. And I'm just like, mate, when we're not doing, you know, mm. when we're not acting or singing, like, we're just sitting around and chatting to girls, whereas you guys yeah. are all, like, out in the field, like, rubbing your greasy bodies up against each other. And it's just like, that kind of got them to shut up. It was like the one time I did and then everyone <laughs> laughed. Like, Yeah. And look, you can also do all sorts of readings about, you know, masculinity in Australia, how men are not meant to show physical affection to one another here. Mm. Uh, but you, and maybe that's, we covered this a little bit in the Wake and Fright episode, you know, maybe these dudes are like so desperate for touch. That's why they act violently or, you know, mm. play sports. So they have an excuse to, you know, touch other men, albeit in a, in a competitive or aggressive way. Yeah. Well, I also think that like sport and sporting victories is sort of one of the only times it's been considered appropriate for Australian men to like touch each other affectionately. Yeah. Yeah, like casual wow. affectionate, like a hug or something like that. It's kind of only sports. Patting each um, other on the ass. Yeah, yeah. But like even even not the deeply homoerotic aspects of it. That's like the only time you can like hug your mate. Yeah, Is Jesus. if you win a sports game, which is really, really sad and really isolating. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, I never thought of it like that. Yeah, Um. sport, sport in Australia is also like, it's hugely white. Um, sure. And I will say that, like, you know, the the majority of the of the Matildas have Anglo and European heritage, but Sam Kerr has Indian heritage, and she's very proud of that. Um, Mary Fowler's like one of her parents is Papua New Guinean, um, and Kaya Simon and Lydia Williams are both Indigenous, and um, and they're playing on this main stage um yeah like i said before indigenous people get like there are a lot of very good indigenous footballers but they generally sort of not treated well in um by the sports and by the fans um they're sort of like everyone everyone loves them when they're winning but if they start speaking out about Mm. race issues everyone tells them to get back in their box yeah. Um and there was a there was a controversy sometime in the last year or so where players from I think I want to say Hawthorne, which is a an AFL team, might have been one of the others. I mm-hmm. I'm really bad at remembering all the names. Um No, that's right. There were a couple of indigenous players who uh had who who were young men with with young families. And where they were quite, they were separated from their partners quite seriously by coaches and managers of the team, uh, including one, the the partner of one of these men was like taken aside by the coach and pressured to have an abortion when she was pregnant. Oh my god! Um, what? Yeah, basically because, you know, these men are 
and and I mean this happens to like a lot of football players from different backgrounds, but I think it's it's worse if you're indigenous. You're like you're really separated from your community. Like the teams all they all live together, they they travel around there, but there's not really a lot of time to go back and spend time with family and community. And if that's like really culturally important to you, that's a huge that's got a huge impact. You know, and Australia does not have a good Australia, the colony, has very famously separated Indigenous people from its community time and time again in order to exploit them and make profit off mm. them. And while this is a this is happening in a different context, a lot of the underlying themes are the same. But yeah, like like men being told you've got to leave your partner, oh she she'll ruin your life. Um, like men having their like players having their phones confiscated by their their coaches so they Holy couldn't shit. yeah like really abusive shit like fuck so it's like because here's the other thing as well mm. like because you know sport is such a big deal in australia mm. like these young men are also kind of rock stars including yeah. like all the shittiest parts of being a rock star like you know having yeah. to having to conceal your you know neglect your mm. relationships you know having a very like stage managed life uh yeah yeah, that would be like I one story I heard of is it's like a Brisbane football team going to an event and they had to drink like Forex. Mm, it's like you are mm. contractually obliged to yeah. only drink this beer even if you oh don't God. like beer. Yeah. Yeah, drinking culture is a really huge problem. Um the other sort of big problem with with a lot of sports culture in Australia is is gambling. Mm-hmm. Um that's where a lot of the money comes from. Like a lot of you know there's the the actual the tv rights and the advertising and things like that but increasingly in in like recent years a lot a lot of the money has come from gambling um one of the things i really liked about this this world cup is like yeah i mean the games weren't at 2 a.m and they were on channel 7 rather than sbs and and quite interestingly channel 7 had not fully understood I don't think anyone had been able to predict how popular the World Cup would be, but they only they only secured the rights to the Australian games, and everything else I think was on Fox Sports. But um, but nearly all the games were sold out, including games Australia wasn't playing. Like everyone was going along to them. Um, there were people getting getting interested in sport that I'd never seen be interested in sport at all. And crucially, it wasn't what I... This podcast is also kind of Lucas's holding mm-hmm. space for becoming less of a cynical shithead. And I, and I <laughs> yeah. thank you all for joining me on my journey. Mm-hmm. And part of nice. part of my personal growth and is, you know, overcoming my disdain for sport culture and, you know, being a little cynical edgelord dipshit and being like, oh, you only care about soccer during the World Cup. Interesting. Like, mm. I, I'm getting better. I'm trying to move past that. <laughs> And and the FIFA Women's World Cup helped with that because lots of people were getting into it who weren't usually interested in sports. Like, you know, my my sister and brother-in-law went, and to my knowledge, they've never spoken about being into, you know, football or even like women's football before. Uh, so yeah, it was it was it was really nice to see. I um, I managed to get both my partners to come along to, I public screening of the game against France where we had the the giant penalty shootout did you see this 
the game went for I heard the game. Of it, yes. The game went for more than two hours and was finally <laughs> finished on on penalties and oh my god. And yeah, and I saw that in a big you know, in Garima Place in Canberra, which is sort of one of the big town squares, and it was the vibe was so good. It's it was so good. There was no dickhead behaviour. No one was punching on. There was yeah, like so in, in men's a league soccer in Australia, there has been some problems with bad behaviour from fans. Uh, last year, there was a very big incident between two different teams in Melbourne, uh, Melbourne City and Melbourne Victory. M- members of one team, I think Melbourne Victory, stormed the pitch during the game Uh-oh. and threw a bunch of flare and. Th- a bunch of flares and threw them onto the pitch. Oh, I remember this. Holy fuck. Yeah, which is like some some soccer hooligan culture that's been exported from Europe. Oh, yeah. There were some flares let off at not not at any of the games during the World Cup, but I think at Federation Square during one of the public screenings of a game that was being held somewhere else. Some some people just came along basically to cause trouble. But aside from that, that like one of the things that that like I was talking to people early on in um in this, going, Wow, why does this feel different to other um competitions and Yeah, cultures. other other sporting things and somebody was like, Well, it's because um all the, the really dickhead men's sports fans don't care and they're not there. But it was, it was like, yeah, so, but yeah, women's soccer hasn't got that kind of, like, it might grow, you know, we might see it. Um, we must I, protect it. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe in the Australian ability to fuck anything up. Yeah. But currently the, the culture around it was, was nice. I really liked it. Um, I liked how, I think that it was sort of one of the first times where there'd been... I think the final Matildas game against England, the semi-final game that we didn't win, sad, was mm. the second most watched, single most watched sporting event in Australia's history. Yeah, shit. And the one that was more watched was Kathy Freeman running the 400 metres at the Sydney Olympics. Jesus, okay. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, so both of those are women's sporting events. I look forward to sporting bodies similar to how like uh i think hasbro mattel saw the success of the barbie movie oh no and was oh like, no and was like hey you know what we need to make more board game movies or toy no. movies and not more like yeah. we should make more movies yeah. helmed by and aimed at you know people who mm. aren't dudes i wonder how they're going to look at this and be and totally misinterpret more people want to play football and it's just like maybe just maybe just more all sports mm. at aimed at more women or people who aren't dudes like it more of that yeah like the the matildas have used this as a um as a push for more funding which is completely reasonable mm-hmm. and um they actually engaged in a very cool a very cool industrial action uh four years ago where they did some collective bargaining and um there's now a rule that there's like like a similar share of, of prize money and like when you perform at an international level, they have to be paid equally. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really cool. Sam Kerr is a a proud union member. 
which is very cool. They're really using this as a platform for more funding for women's and girls' sports. Um, oh, that was the thing that I want to say, and then I got sidetracked because, of course, I did. <laughs> so part of the, the games being played at, like, an actual time that wasn't the middle of the night was that they weren't full of gambling ads. I was talking to my housemate about this, and they said that they think it might also be they had different sponsors, like Sportsbet is a is a heavy sponsor of both the World Cup and a lot of the other men's sporting competitions. But yeah, it wasn't just a sport ad every five minutes. There was a lot of ads for deodorant. I'm like, okay. Also, ads for the World Cup itself, which I was already watching. <laughs> they didn't need to show me any more ads for the World Cup. I was watching it. Um, I, they got me. But um, sport shoes... That was what, you know, that's, those were the sponsors. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's appropriate. But yeah, McDonald's. I don't know if it was, yeah, that kind of stuff where you're like, all right, yep, normal sporting things. I don't love corporate advertising, but sports bet advertising is, I think, really sinister or, or sports betting apps and things like that. We may just have to get someone on to talk with us about the rise, someone kind of techie to talk about the rise of the sports betting apps because it yeah. has... One one thing I'm in total agreement on with uh, just guys. Okay, previously my experience with sports is I actually helped produce a sporting show years ago that sadly never quite took off. Um, but uh, yeah, we were on that show. We talked about like you know what a I just recorded it, but the free hosts were like. It seems like a lot of sports fans are united in their hatred for that gambling culture yeah which is which i find really interesting because the way the ads present it is that gambling is inherent to enjoyment mm. of the sport that, that that's one of the social activities involved in it and something i really enjoyed about this world cup was that i didn't really hear anyone talking about gambling on it um there was oh no there was a little bit of controversy early on because um Sam Kerr couldn't play the first few games because she had an injury and this information was not released until like a couple of hours before the game. <laughs> and the reason that that's not released is it's it's strategic so that, you know, the other team is creating like a lineup with mm. with their idea that there are going to be certain players in mind and then it's a different strategy. But there were a number of betting fans who were furious about it because that's information they felt they should have had access to uh. when making their bets. And, like, that's not the point of the sport. That's not why it's being held. Uh, you know, that's... I mean, yeah, like, huh, the, the point of the sport is to funnel money to FIFA officials. <laughs> <laughs> I have a number of friends who work in, like, event management, and I do videography, and one of them was running events around the Women's World Cup and they were talking to me about like filming. I think, you know, one thing that shot that down was me saying FIFA are like famously litigious about showing their branding, their signage, controlling yeah. their IP. So like, are you sure I can film these events? And yeah. I think that spooked them, which I guess is good. Like I would hate to have like shot this thing for them to pay me and then for like it to not go anywhere because FIFA said no. Mm. But yeah, which is a shame. Like, you know, uh, uh, fuck FIFA. I know enough about FIFA to be like, they are a, a shit widely corrupt org. Uh, the games are nice though. Yeah. It was nice being able to watch World Cup without there being shitloads of gambling ads. I also enjoyed it because there wasn't as much like 
there weren't as many people taking dives as there are in the men's competition. Holy shit, I was just about to ask. <laughs> That's the one other thing I know about soccer. Yeah. It's my understanding that the Italian football team are famous for this. Yeah, I think, I mean, Italy, but also also France is pretty is pretty hectic it's actually something that i i i quite enjoy about the the men's game is that every so often there's just like like a man writhing on the ground pretending to be in pain and the camera will do this like slow pan up the inside of his thighs and i'm like nice um <laughs> like it's it's very homoerotic it's delightful um but this was like my God, some of the tackles in this were hectic. Like, women okay. were just slamming into each other. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was... <laughs> um, but, but yeah, like, it, it, it wasn't people kind of falling to the ground and being dramatic in the way that you see with the men's. It was, like, people genuinely bashing into each other and then, you know, the medics having to come on and do concussion tests on them. Shit. Yeah. Wow. Because one of my one of my favorite shots from I think uh, maybe not FIFA last year but the the one four years before was just how much some of the players like try to milk it mm -hmm. and when they realize it's not working they just fucking get back up. Yes, um, I think I I remember seeing a compilation of that. <laughs> so good. It's theater. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I enjoy that. Yeah, I I loved it. I've it's been really interesting learning about different uh industrial disputes that different women's teams are having because like like the world cup is the world cup is sort of a you, you get a little glimpse into what's happening in all these different countries around the world it, in terms of sport and so um there are a whole lot of different teams where they're doing they've got industrial disputes about pay partic yeah particularly like women's teams have a lot about getting equally paid mm -hmm. um and like so the I believe that the Matildas is one of the best paid international team or national teams. Fuck yeah. And has the best like like maternity leave provisions wow. and other conditions, which is very cool. There's been a bunch of controversy about the Spanish team after the cup win because the the president of the Spanish Football Association kissed one of the the Spanish team members on the lips Ooh. and she was not a fan of that and, and said that that wasn't consensual. And, uh, he was supposed to resign a couple of days ago, but he went to, he went to the press conference where he was supposed to resign and then was like, I'm not resigning. How dare you say this? She totally wanted it. Um, oh, wow. yeah, but there was already like a, there's already been an industrial dispute against the, the Spanish coach where, uh, he also coaches, I think the Barcelona team mm -hmm. um, and there's a whole lot of women who have been like talking about abuse uh. there. So like, it's, it's all, there's definitely some, some really big problems around the world. Um, I found out about the dispute against the coach because one of the English during the, the England and, and Spain match, uh, which was the, the final one of the English players who, when she's not playing for England plays for Barcelona had had written the number 15 on her sneakers which is in reference to the 15 women who are like on strike about this and she was getting into a fight with that coach with the spanish coach but not about like but in solidarity which was quite cool um yeah i one of one of the best ways to get me into anything is to talk about like workers rights 
Um, I've got a mate who loves the Tour de France. And uh, during one of the lockdowns, was like, stay up late and watch your Tour de France with me. You know, we'll Zoom, we'll Zoom <laughs> chat. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do that. You know, why not? And and he was like, oh, yeah. So one of the things that happened here is that a whole lot of the um, the players have been doing this, like, industrial action where there there are there are segments of the tour de france where it's it's a particularly big viewership day because it's like through really picturesque places or it's like this bit of the the course is known to be particularly difficult Mm -hmm. and all the all the cyclists decided that was a rest day which in the (laughs) sport means that they just they cycle really slowly and leisurely they're like, yes. this is a phase where we just go. Um, so it was like going to be one of the real big money spinners day- days, and it was worthless. And they were, and part of what they were doing, they were uh, pushing back against some of the ways that the course is set out, and and wait and places that they start and end days of the, like segments of the race, are um, more and more for spectators, so that people can get the good shots, and and so they're like they're not keeping the spectators off the course as much as they need to be and they're sort of ending things in quite dangerous little towns that make it much more dangerous for the the riders mm. so they were actually taking industrial action again for a worker safety thing and i was like mate when you were trying to convince me to watch this why didn't you lead with this that's what will get me into it like get show me some industrial action and i am there um yeah and like like finding out that that the matildas have done a lot of collective bargaining and a lot of industrial action in order to maintain a decent amount of pay of pay was was really exciting that's that's so cool that's yeah that's, like i was i i came into this you know you know and i was sort of aware that like sam kerr was a union member mm. and everything like that but uh yeah i i just came in being like oh this is this is actually nice sports stuff i can get behind this and finding out mm. that they're like no, they're getting that bag. Yeah. Shaking some fucking money out of, you know, a massively monetized system, which is, you know, like broadcast sport. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, international sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, fuck yeah, get that. Absolutely. Um, I was just like, there were so many moments in in it that were just incredible. Like in that final, that that game against England that we didn't win and that got us out of the world cup we got we got trounced but there was this one beautiful moment sam kerr took the ball by herself most of the way down the pitch Mm -hmm. like from one end to another and then just kicked it into the goal and it was phenomenal i did see that that was great and the like the penalty shootout i was i was at a live game well a live a public screening of that and the the tension was so huge like even for Canberra, which is not like a particularly rowdy place, it was it was incredible. Like, it was so much fun to be part of that, and it was it was fun to see sporting people who actually appear to be kind of decent human beings. <laughs> yeah. You know, like like it wasn't. And here's a whole bunch of sexual abuse allegations against all of them. You're like, oh, it's like, yeah, this guy got done for punching someone in the face. Like the biggest bit of drama that you could mostly see about the Tillies is that they've all dated each other. I wanted to mention this earlier when you were talking about professional footballer behaviour in Australia. Mm. And I want to cite a tweet by a childhood friend of the show and childhood friend of me, uh, Ben, Mm. who in response to there was, it was an 
I think it was an AFLW indigenous mm. player. Might have even done like it. I think it was something, you know, Adam Goods adjacent. Yeah. Where, you know, basically standing up to, you know, shitty behavior by, yeah. you know, shitty racist behavior by the fans. And some, you know, right wing shock jock fuckhead was like, oh, this is the most disgraceful thing to happen in sports. And Ben just quote tweeted with a list of horrible mm. things done by professional football players. Like, the dude who pissed in his mouth at a party. Um, yeah. John Hoppolati sexually assaulting other players. My God, yes. <laughs> able to effortlessly in one tweet rattle off shit that I was aware of because it was so perverse that it broke containment of like sports fandom. Yeah, and this is sort of the first time that like I felt something has broken that containment of, of Australian sports fandom in, in like a positive way for a really yeah. long time. It felt very strange to dress by choice in green and gold and paint team colours on my face. And there was a little bit of, what is happening here? My partners and my housemates being subjected to watching every single Tilly's game. I just, they were all a little bit like, okay, look, we... We don't understand this, but we support Jules. And um, yeah, please go look at those photos because I, I, I did not, you know, at, <laughs> at that stage I did not know that you were you were not a jock at that point. So I was just like, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, that's just, that's Jules putting on like you know Australian sports colours uh, to go to a yeah, thing. Yeah, it. Well, even when I even when I used to go to like World Cup soccer matches in Sydney, it was never Australian ones. No. Like, because. We never got that far. We never got out of the group of eight. We never made it into the group of 16. Like, we'd just be like, after the group stage, we'd be like, oh, yeah, we're out. Oh, well. Okay, what team am I supporting now? And it was usually Italy because I lived near Leichhardt and <laughs> I, I knew how to survive. Um, <laughs> oh, God, I went and saw an absolutely hectic Italy versus Croatia match one year. Hence, it was great. I think it was one of the closest things I felt to some form of national pride in a really long time. And I think that for what me... What is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that for me, like, the the queerness aspect is really important. Not just that it's 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 women, because, you, know, you know, I have a very complicated relationship with my assigned gender. But, um... Look, but like, look in, the, yeah. in the intro scenario, mm. I thought after you said, like, it's for the girls now, I mm. thought you were then going to make a joke about and now it's trans, like taking it a step further. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I love the scenario as it played out. Um, look, I mean, I think I think 2027, I believe in us <laughs> to get some like some trans women on the team, or we can get some like some good trans men on the men's team, and maybe they'll do better. Get some more queers in there, because yep. that's obviously what it is. You need you need queers. I don't I don't even think it's just that it's 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 women's. I think that it, I think the the thing that made it actively good was that it was queer. A bunch of years ago, I was at I was at a Mardi Gras party in Sydney at the Imperial Hotel, and there was a moment where a women's AFL team who had marched together, because a lot of them were gay, uh, and they'd marched in the parade, came to the party, and they arrived, and it was the first time in my entire life I had had the experience of a footy team walking into a pub and the vibe getting better. 
I, I remember you telling that story and uh, yeah, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, and that's sort of what this felt like. And I think that because, you know, as we've talked about, like Australian sports has been so anti-queer, hugely, massively homophobic. Having having a predominantly queer team do that well and, and people being like, yes, yes, I'm gay. Like I remember in the 90s when I was growing up, there were rumours around different uh, sports women in particular being gay because, you know, there was also this thing of like, oh, well, if you're good at sport, you're like lacking in femininity and you're, you're sort of you're like, inherently you're not, butch. yeah, you're not doing well at womanhood. So <laughs> it was like, 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 it was like, oh, that person, there's rumors about them being gay or like, it was sort of like always being threatened to out people and what that could do to their career. And the kind of, the fact that, yeah, everyone on the Tillies is gay. And they're just <laughs> like, yep, yeah, we're gay. Yep. A lot of them are like married. Like it's it's not a secret. There is, they're not bringing any shame around it. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of amazing. That was like, I don't think I'd ever experienced that before. And yeah, like just the amount of like openly, like I remember, you know, women's soccer players being like a euphemism for, for lesbians. I'm yeah. like, yeah, okay, fair enough. And and women's hockey players. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, well, I think that, yeah, like I remember um, out of, yeah, like like I said, the two winter sports options were uh, hockey or, um, oh, <laughs> you could do hockey or you could do netball or you could do aerobics. Hmm. Men couldn't do aerobics. Men could do athletics. <laughs> like the gender stuff at my school was hectic. But it was definitely implied that, like, netball was the girlier sport, like the more femme one. Mm. And hockey was was a bit more butch, which is like, they're differently violent. They're both violent. Mm -hmm. Netball is more like you're going to get scratched, whereas hockey is you're going to hit a ball really hard at someone. Um, but, yeah. Um, they're both, they're both aggressive sports. Now that's what sport is a lot of the time, I think, especially team sports. But, um, I think it's beautiful. Um, there was a lot of stuff of like men and boys really getting into this. Whereas like, yeah. uh, historically men have not followed women's sport or, or felt any, or it, it's not been implied that men should feel any connection to women's sporting victories, but yeah, like, I, I know lots of people talking about seeing, like, teenage boys and little boys wearing Matilda's replica sports kit and talking about those mm -hmm. women as being their heroes. That's huge. Like, that's I... That's so good. Yeah, and I think that, like, like that seems so foreign to my experience of growing up in Australia. Um, and I'm like, did did the Tillies fix gender? Possibly. Possibly. I I know a bunch <laughs> of my good friends went to the game, actually mm. went to the same game my Ugh. sister and brother-in-law went to, and and unintentionally did the the Chad meme photo where like you know, all their all their heads are sticking out and like you know look it didn't quite work because they're all pretty different looking guys, but there are a lot of people who are just into sport generally and yeah. were excited about this and uh, yeah as we said earlier I really I really hope it gets it is shielded from like the shittier parts of australian sport culture some some facets of which i think are dying out sort of mm -hmm. like hey hey it's saturday you know like yeah you know the the cunts from the footy show are gonna cark it eventually like a lot of them have like fucked off anyway like yeah and the footy show isn't on anymore 
Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I can't remember neither what, of them. I can't remember what incident it was in like 2016, 2017. I know we're running a little bit long, mm. but like I remember the last time Sam Newman did something shitty, that was what triggered him leaving the show and it was really clear from like the broader public that even people who aren't who are who have kind of shitty opinions were just like sick of this guy's shit. So yeah. And I wonder how much of that is just part of like regular culture and it's why we have more people who are excited mm. for the female code of the sport yeah. going as far as they did. Like it's it's really nice. This is this is the most excited I've been about sports and I and I mm. have hated sports for most of my life. So for it to reach me is special. Yeah, it was also like my husband doesn't enjoy sport. He he went to a a school that played rugby and he's got various injuries from having to do that and he massively dislikes and feels no connection to most aspects of like Australian masculinity culture. Mm-hmm. And so in previous years when I've been like I've gone off to a, a World Cup game, uh he hasn't joined me. And and he came along to he he watched all the Tillies games with me. Um <laughs> Oh. And it was really nice. It was really nice. And and he was like, yeah, like I don't I don't hate this. He's still like, you know, it's sport. I don't love it. But <laughs> I don't think he I do, I don't think that kind of like deep revulsion that I think a lot of like I think I think a lot there are a lot of, you know, millennial aged Australian men who if they if they were not sporty growing up really loathe sports culture because of me yeah like you because of how fucked it is and and i think that maybe the the tillies was quite was just sort of nice for everyone like i kind of i'm like oh this is nice you can you can have sports without it being horrible you know you can just have like people playing a game and doing some cool stuff and and without it being like without everybody just being terrible people and I really hope that that's a, a trend that continues. Um, I hope it means we start seeing more kind of interest and, and, and uptake in women's sport. Um, I found out that there's a pretty, that there's a good can, that there's a women's A-League soccer league in Australia. And, um, and there's a Canberra team called Canberra United. And there's no men's team for Canberra. <laughs> so every other every other team there's the men's team and then there's the women's team and in Canberra it's just the women's team and I was like Ooh. oh I like that so um <laughs> yeah some of the I was at a banner painting workshop for an upcoming protest against turfs <laughs> with a bunch <laughs> of queers that I know the other day and everyone was still like still talking about the tillies queers have never spoken about sports this much wow never before like this is the main thing lesbians have been talking about since deadlock finished um shit nobody knows what to do now now we're just back to like having to yell at turfs which is like oh that's not fun like it has to be done but uh, um it's important but also yeah it's i don't uh, i i hope I hope you guys are able to, uh, you know, infiltrate the club and uh, and uh, basically take it over. Oh well, I mean, I, I'm not. I don't think we have to because, like, I think there's already a whole lot of queers there, and yeah, and and yeah, some of my friends were like, 
we should go see we should see, go see a home game when it's on we should go see a canberra united game I'm like yeah let's go see a canberra united game so i'm gonna go see like a a local sports match with what friends f- as like a social thing what the fuck yeah the 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 queer jock era of australia is beginning sounds gay i'm here for it <laughs> i'm like no this is great <laughs> we should infiltrate all sports yes. we should make it better and gayer Gay curling now. Yeah, well, um, the the writer and comedian Beck Shaw, Rebecca Shaw, wrote a thing in The Guardian about how it, it's actually the queerness of the Women's World Cup that made it so good. And I agree. She, she's right. Yeah, she's right. It was it was really gay. Um, there were some really good haircuts. <laughs> oh it was just it was just a really fun thing. It was nice to be able to yeah uh, some some friends of my like a friend of mine who is a trans woman said that you know she was she was finding it hard to connect because she's like okay but like are trans women going to be able to play like at that level is is that going to be an area that the trans panic in sports gets into um and i'm like yeah that's I, I think trans people are having a really, really rough time in all aspects of sport at the moment. Like, they've they've just banned trans women from playing in the Women's League of Chess. Yeah, that which was... Which, I'm like, I don't think there's a physical advantage involved in chess, my guys. But, um, yeah, so mm. I'm hoping that by the next World Cup, it's it's not just gay, it's also trans. That's what we need. Yeah. Um, and I think that, yeah, those wins are going to happen in in the women's league before they happen in the men's but i do hope they continue in the men's i hope that the amount of openly queer players in both australia but the league in general mean that um men stop being as afraid to come out i hope that our culture becomes more accepting of that i think it's really sad to think that there's not a single openly queer player in the entire men's afl like that's probably a lot of very closeted people having a bad time yeah i don't know yeah i just i just want us i think if australia gets gayer that's one of the the problems we need to fix the the heteronormativity we start chipping away at that we'll also start chipping you know we gotta chip away at the racism we gotta chip away at the sexism we gotta just keep going at all of this stuff until somehow it's better or we just gotta burn it all down entirely but that's hard it seems hard to get people on board for that one no, no, no. Let's let's start with gay football, and mm. and we'll work our way to burning it down from there. Okay, but, cool, uh, cool, cool. Also, also we have we have we have done a rare, nice Australian gothic. Yeah. Like, not that I not that I <laughs> want to tone police it because you raised some good points, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Your your one nice Australian gothic for the year, everyone. I hope <laughs> you like it. That isn't about like a movie we like. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. I think it's I think it's fun. I like sport. I'm a jock now. Congratulations on becoming a jock. Yeah. I haven't cracked yet, but this is the closest I've I've got to being a jock. If so, we if we explain soccer in terms of Warhammer, would that help? Yeah, tell me tell me which one is Horace Lupercal mm. and well, look, I know I know <laughs> I the Orcs know. are based on soccer hooligans, so that's beautiful. There anyway, you go. no. Yeah. no uh, Jules, <laughs> thank you thank you so much for for leading this one. Uh <laughs> I actually really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Me too. Uh, thank you for suggesting the topic. I, I'm so glad we've finally done a sports one. We're jocks now. This is a sports podcast. Now. 
Yes, welcome. We're finally and Australian. Brought to you by fucking sports bet or some shit. No! I don't know why I'm playing. Your first bet the is free or some that. shit. No! Don't, don't give them... No, don't! <laughs> no, no, no. Thanks, don't, everyone. Don't gamble. Don't gamble. Fuck gambling. Uh, yeah. Love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>